Today we are in John chapter 17. And I want to recommend something to you if you've been journeying through John with us. We found on Amazon um, the Gospel of John. It's a 2015 film and it's basically a word-for-word -word adaptation of the Gospel of John. And it's pretty well done. I mean, uh, Jesus is not blonde hair and blue-eyed like me. He looks like Jesus would have looked. And um, it really looks like it's in the cultural setting and the narrator just reads through John as the scenes play out. And we've really enjoyed it. We're up to John 11. We've made this a family tradition that we find some adaptation uh, of, the, of a gospel story that actually does it word for word. And we watch it with our kids during Holy Week. And this one's been really good. Last year we did Matthew, this year we're doing John. And uh, it's bringing up some great questions um, from our kids as they watch. And, you know, just Jesus clearing out the temple. And what, why was he doing that? And, and even for me, just there's some places in John where there's a long discourse. Or he talks for a long time. He teaches for a long time. And even in the, in the, in the, in the, in the film, seeing where he's doing that reminds me of like, oh, yeah, like, I've gotten lost in this long teaching that he's doing, but he's doing this because he's talking to the Pharisees, and that's why. So, <clears throat> so anyways, the Gospel of John, 2015 film on Amazon. The director's David Batty. I would recommend it um, as a way just to bring to life the Gospel story this week. We're at John 17 today, and it is the end of the farewell discourse. Uh, John 18, Jesus is going to be arrested and put on trial. John 19, Jesus is going to the cross to be crucified. And then John 20, he's resurrected from the tomb. And 21, John comes to um, John comes to conclusion. You know, and as the chapters progress through the farewell discourse, the sense of urgency grows because we know what's coming. As he teaches his disciples, the hours are, are going by and he's moving further and further uh, away from safety and towards the cross. And maybe that makes John 17 one of the most important chapters in the Bible. Um, it's called the High Priestly Prayer. He has finished teaching his disciples and he kind of looks up and, and begins to pray. And that's what we're going to look at today as he prays for first himself, and then secondly, for his disciples that are there with him. And then third, for the disciples and believers that will, uh, that will come after his disciples that are there with him. In other words, he's praying for us as future disciples, future believers. So let me pray for us, and then we'll get into the word. Jesus, as we, uh, we pray that as we look at your prayer, you would help us to get something today that would encourage us, that would grow our understanding and knowledge of you, that would shape our affections for you and your purposes in this world. Lord, we pray that you would help us to be the people of God in this moment. And we pray that you'd even use this morning by the power of your spirit uh, to shape us in that direction. Amen. Well, in verse one, uh, Jesus begins to pray for himself. He starts off by uh, saying, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son so that the son may glorify you. Now, throughout the book of John, Jesus had said, my hour has not yet come. My hour has not yet come. And in fact, he said that to his mom 
at, at, at the wedding feast at Cana when they ran out of wine. And she's like, you can do something about this. And he's like, my hour has not yet come. Uh, but here his hour has come. And that glory that he is going to glorify the Father with and the Father is going to glorify Jesus is the cross. The glory that he's praying about is him going to the cross to complete the work of redemption, to save us, to, to bring forgiveness and atonement for our sins, to defeat death through the resurrection. All those things are the glory of God in Jesus Christ, and that's what he prays for. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son so that the Son may glorify you. It, it's strange to think that God's glory would be so revealed in such a dark thing as the cross. But, but Jesus is praying for that. He's praying that God's glory would be revealed through his work of redemption. And then Jesus says this in verse 2 and 3. Since you gave him, the, the Son, authority over all flesh so that he may give eternal life to everyone you have given him. This is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God, and the one you have sent, Jesus Christ. Eternal life isn't just the afterlife, although it is that is included. Eternal life is life with God through Jesus Christ, both now and forever. It's, it's the life of heaven coming into the present in you now through the Holy Spirit, but it's also the promise of an eternity with God forever. It's interesting, though, that when we talk about the glory of God in Jesus, that's most exhibited through what he's about to go through. The glory of God is most clear uh, through what he does through Jesus Christ on the cross and the empty tomb. And Jesus is, says in verse 4, I have glorified you on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Now, He's speaking a little bit metaphorically, saying that after this is all over, he will have completed the work that the Father has given him. Which is an amazing thing to think about Christianity, is the religion that starts not with, here's all the things you must do, but here's the work that Jesus has done for you. Uh, if you get anything about Christianity this week, you should get that. That it starts with Jesus' finished work of redemption on your behalf, not with a list of things that you must fulfill. Jesus fulfilled those things for you, and he uh, offers us salvation by the work that he has done, not the promises or commitment we make. But we also have to analyze that a little bit more. Uh, there was an article that came out by a guy named um, Colton Corder on the Nine Marks website, and Colton spent 18 hours listening to the sermons of the nine largest churches. 18 hours just listening to the sermons of the nine largest churches, which, which ended up being about four sermons per church. These are the biggest churches in the United States. And he left pretty discouraged. And here's why. The cross and the good news of Jesus was very unclear at best. In those 18 sermons, or those nine, uh, 18 hours of sermons, four sermons per piece of nine churches, the cross and the good news of Jesus was mostly absent. It wasn't there. It wasn't there. What was there was a lot of biblical language about faith and hope and some things that sound a little bit like life coaching with the words purpose and position and winning. But what was strikingly absent was the glory of God in Jesus Christ on the cross. 
what was focused on was not Jesus and his work, but your life. Like, you're the center of the story. Uh, the focus wasn't life eternal, the life of God, both now and forever, but rather on things that were temporal. The cross was hidden. In the nine largest churches in the United States, listening to four sermons for each of those churches, just to be fair, the cross was unclear at best and hidden. Now, if the Holy Spirit comes into the world to convict us of sin and righteousness and judgment, the Holy Spirit will spotlight the cross. He will bring us to the cross. But I suspect that it's challenging to want to focus on the glory of God and the cross because it means that you must focus on sin and righteousness and judgment. And it means that you must talk about repentance. But what Colton said he found in these nine largest churches was that the, the focus of the sermon was more on self-improvement and self-actualization, not the cross. What Colton said was the word sin, whether in believers or unbelievers, is rarely mentioned in these sermons. All of this, of course, is divorced from any discussion of God's judgment. In these sermons, God is affable. He's not level with us, but he's willing to level with us. He's serious, but not too serious. I'm going to move a little closer because the garbage man's coming around. Look, here's what I'm getting at. If the glory of God is most clear in the cross of Jesus Christ, what right do we have to hide it? What, what are we doing by hiding the cross and making the focus something else, like making us the focus and our lives the focus and self-improvement and self-actualization the focus? That's not God's story. God's story and God's glory is focused on what Jesus has done in the cross. And the reason is... All of God's beautiful character is exhibited through the work of redemption on the cross. In other words, in the cross, we see God's righteousness. We see God's righteous character that he, he, doesn't, he doesn't fib on at all. He, he holds to who he is. He is perfectly righteous. But we also see his justice in the sense that he doesn't overlook evil. And the righteousness and justice of God come perfectly together in the cross because through the cross, our sins are paid for. Our real evil is paid for. So God is both righteous and just. But in the cross, we also see the goodness of the character of God. That though we are rebels and sinners who have shaken our fists at God, he moves towards us with his son. And his son voluntarily goes to the cross for us. That is good. And we see his love that he's willing to sacrifice his son for us. And Jesus is willing to lay down his life. That, that is love. And in the cross, we see God's mercy and his grace. Uh, through the cross, we see the glory of who God is. And so we have no right to hide the cross. And one of the things I've been burdened by in this moment, you know, there are gonna be more, there are gonna be more people watching Easter and Good Friday and Easter services online than probably ever before because the people that would normally go and watch them live are gonna be watching online. Uh, maybe a word to preachers here. Don't hide the cross. Don't make this about self-improvement or winning or getting through a hard time. Make this about Jesus. Make this about the cross and, and the empty tomb. That is the glory of God. Nothing else is. 
maybe one of those churches, maybe one of those preachers who uh, was on that article, that blog, maybe maybe he'll hear this. I mean, I, I, I'm not here to get a bunch of viewers. I'm, this is for my church. But maybe one of them will hear this and rethink that. You, you have an awesome opportunity. If, if you're going to have 40,000 people watching you, preach the cross of Jesus, preach the empty tomb, not as something that just improves our lives, but as the very purposes and glory of God. Amen. I'm going to leave it there. That's Jesus' prayer for himself, but then he also prays for us. He prays for us. Skip down to verse 20. He says, I pray not only for these, but also for those who believe in me through their word. Now be encouraged. He's praying for us. Uh, he's praying for those who will believe based on the apostles' testimony and writing. And if you believe in Jesus, uh, if, you're following a, if you're a follower of Jesus, then that's you. Jesus prayed for you. And what does he pray for us, though? He prays for unity and oneness. Uh, several times he, he prays for unity and oneness. In fact, he says it this way, May they all be one, as you, Father, are in me, and I am in you. Now, now just to clarify, some of you are going, well, wait a minute, didn't, John, didn't you, just, uh, didn't you just practice disunity by challenging other people of Jesus uh, to really preach the cross? Isn't that, like, divisive? Well, um, Jesus himself said that not everyone who preaches Jesus is actually a follower of Jesus. Jesus himself said that. Paul said that. Uh, Jesus said just because someone uses his name doesn't mean they actually know him. And so we got to be careful there. But, but again, listen, in verse 22, Jesus says, back to this theme of glory, I have given them the glory you have given me so that they may be one as we are one. So, so, a follow, so we are united in the sense that we are following Jesus, who he really is. And the glory of God is shared with us as we unite to Jesus in the real cross as real believers. If the glory of God is most exhibited through the death of his son, and Jesus brings us into that glory, and glory, and that glory is what brings our unity, then how can we be united with those who talk about Jesus but hide the glory of the cross? It is the glory of the cross in Jesus Christ and, and our fellowship with him as he really is that brings our unity. So for those who are truly in Christ, who truly know him, who see the glory of God in the cross, the love of Jesus is for you. The love of Jesus is for you. And what that means is if it's for you, it's also supposed to go through you. And just because we are um, a diverse family, it doesn't mean that we get to withhold love from people who truly know Jesus, who truly glory in the cross. In the cross. You know, our, our society is divided by racial lines, by socioeconomic lines, by cultural barriers, and, and just the, the, the differences in language. But yet Jesus calls us to express visible unity in our belief in him and our relationship with him together. And in verse 23, he tells us why. So that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. Francis Schaeffer was a great apologist, and apologetics is simply speaking in defense of the Christian faith. So someone goes, God doesn't exist, and you practice apologetics. You go, God does exist, and here's five reasons why. And Francis Schaeffer was a great apologist. He, he really has influenced a lot of people. But he said this about what he calls the final apologetic. 
Schaefer said, unless true Christians show observable love to each other, Christ says the world cannot be expected to listen, even when we give proper answers. Let us be careful indeed to spend a lifetime studying to give honest answers. But after we have done our best to communicate to a lost world, still, we must never forget that the final apologetic which Jesus gives is the observable love of true Christians for true Christians. Now, it, it's key there that he says true Christians, true. Uh, but what he's saying is we can have all the answers for why people should believe, but if they cannot see our unity, if they cannot see our love in Jesus Christ, and if they cannot see us together glorying in the cross of Jesus, Jesus is saying that they won't believe. It is our unity and love together that legitimizes him as the Messiah. In a sense, that's what he's praying. And so we must practice love and unity across all dividing lines whether that line be race or ethnicity, whether it be socioeconomics or which neighborhood we live in, whether that be our cultural differences or our language barriers, we are called to express visible unity as God's blended family who glory in the cross of Jesus Christ. You know, I was talking to a pastor once and he said something that was a little disheartening to me, disheartening to me uh, as we were planning the church and talking about being God's blended family united in Jesus together glorying in the cross. And he said, you know, the, the human heart though is just wired to be around people that are like you. You know, the human heart is, is wired to be around like people. And, and I, I, I got frustrated by that, but then I realized, no, he's right. That's actually true. It's just much easier to be around people who act like us and think like us and share the same culture as you and talk like you, that, that's, that's more comfortable. That's the way the human heart is wired. And yet, here's the prayer of Jesus. Into that reality, Jesus prays that we would be one as he and the Father are one so that the world would know that the Father sent the Son. And so as we look at the reality of divisions in our culture, in our country, in our society, hear the prayer of Jesus and realize that your own heart needs more of the love of God in order to live this out. It really does. Uh, you can't muster this up. You need the love of God and Jesus Christ working in you in order to unite and love people who are not like you, but glory in the same cross that you do. And that's exactly what we get. Verse 25, Jesus ends our chapter. He says, I made your name known to them and will continue to make it known so that the love you have loved me with may be in them and I may be in them. The first time I read this verse, I wasn't quite sure that I got it. Uh, the, the love that the Father has loved the Son with is the same kind of love that he loves us with. Wow. The Father loves the Son. He loves the Son. Father God loves Jesus, and the love that he loves the Son with is the same kind of love he loves me with. This truth derailed my first sermon. Probably 2004, 2005, I was, uh, I was a leader in a church and we took our small group into a nursing home and we put on a worship service for them. And, um, and it was mostly elderly people in, in the nursing home. One of, them, one of the, the people there was a man who was probably in his 50s and he had a, 
he had a, a, a developmental disability. And I preached this sermon on Romans 8. I, it was my first sermon. Someone, a pastor helped me put it together. And uh, I was like nervous and like thinking I was going to wow everybody or something like that. Both at the same time. And as I was getting uh, into the sermon, this guy in his 50s who had the developmental delay, uh, he was in the back row in his wheelchair. And as I'm in the middle of preaching, he just yells out, Hey! And I'm like, oh, this is going to derail me. Like, I'm not used to this. He goes, hey, did you know that God loves you as much as he loves his son? And everyone in the room just stopped. And the reality of that truth hit me as I was preaching the sermon. And, and I couldn't move on. Because it became real to me in that moment as I was preaching on a completely different chapter in the Bible that God loves me with the same kind of love that he loves his son. And as you realize that and as you dwell on those things, it will bring fresh power and renewal in your life. As you see the love that God has for you in Jesus Christ, it will actually enable you to live out this visible unity with people who are way different than you. And it will point you back to the cross of Jesus Christ. Be encouraged this morning, uh, glory in the cross, reflect on God's love for you in Jesus Christ. We'll meet again tonight at 8 p.m. for Zoom prayer. Tomorrow morning we'll do devotionals, but we move out of the farewell discourse. We begin to look at John 18, um, where Jesus is arrested. And uh, But I'm gonna close in prayer. Jesus, we thank you uh, for the great love of God that you brought to us, exhibited for us, that you served us with, Lord, we thank you. We just pray that you would encourage people today. Might they uh, be filled with the love of God? Might they have some capacity because of that to reach out to someone that needs your love through text or a phone call or FaceTime? Lord, we pray that, um, that the love of God in Jesus Christ and the glory of the cross would be made clear this weekend. Lord, I, I pray for preachers uh, around the country who are going to be tempted to hide that who are gonna be tempted to make this the gospel of self-actualization or the gospel of self-improvement rather than the gospel of the glory of God and the cross of Jesus Christ and the empty tomb. Lord, would you convict them today? If they've already filmed their sermon, Lord, would you, would you not let them rest until they, until they go and refilm it and focus on the cross of Jesus? We pray that for your glory. And we pray that through uh, every other preacher, Lord, that you would reach out to a lost world. We pray that through New City, through the singing and, and, and the, the word on Sunday, that you would give us all a better picture of who you are, Jesus, and your great love for us. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you all. See you tomorrow at 7 a.m.